0: What up peeps welcome into unscripted and unprepared brought to you by real screen magazine i'm jimmy fox and this episode is my sit down with howard owens the co-ceo of propagate the founder of propagate we did it guys this episode was a long time coming howard was good enough to invite me over to his house which was a treat i saw his wife i saw one of his daughters it was like old times I've known Howard for a long time, as you're about to find out. He walked me through all the stories, the entire career path, starting at William Morris in New York in the mailroom. He walked me through the first time he met Ben Silverman and how those guys came together and left New York, came to Los Angeles, and started up Reveille. And then they went on a tear. We're talking Biggest Loser. We're talking Date My Mom, uh, The Restaurant, The Office, Ugly Betty, The Tudors, Nashville Star. The list goes on and on. And then Howard would run Revley after Ben would leave to go run NBC. Uh, we talked about how Howard made that transition, and then he would make another big transition: his first buyer job. And he was a buyer at the highest level. He was the president of National Geographic Networks, and under his watch, you know, a few shows you might know: Brain Games, Life Below Zero, and uh, another franchise: the Killing franchise—Killing Kennedy, Killing Lincoln, Killing Jesus all bought and developed under Howard's watch. And then he would go on to start Propagate. And I started to ask him about what life is like now. What was the most surprising part about being a buyer? What is his philosophy when he goes out to pitch? And I asked him, does he have any embarrassing pitch stories? And you're going to want to stay to the end because Howard told me the embarrassing pitch story of all embarrassing pitch stories. Yes, it's that one. This is my sit-down with Howard Owens. I hope you enjoy it. All right, so I'm in I'm in the home I'm in the home right now of uh, one of the men I consider to be one of my television uncles. Uh, Howard Owens, thanks for having me here in Hancock Park
1: So great to have you here, Jimmy Fox So proud of uh, all that you've accomplished And um, it's great to see you So, Oh, let me turn that off, sorry
0: So you might hear some chimes You might hear some dogs walking around We're, we're, on the, we're in the outskirts of the kitchen area right now Here at Casa de Owens My man, this is, this is one of those episodes I've had a lot of people A lot of people suggest since I started Everyone's like, you gotta get HT, you gotta get HT on
1: Glad you're here
0: Okay, let me start with the, the real first break for you. I, I think of it as Morris, but was there an entertainment job before you got to Morris?
1: No, it was Morris. It was Morris. I, I joined the Morris mailroom in um, August seventeenth, nineteen 1998, and I was 29 and a half years old. And um, you know, it was into, you know, I was the old guy in the mailroom pushing the mail mm-hmm. card. I got a lot of flack. From the twenty-two year olds.
0: Yeah, because twenty-nine, you, you had a whole other professional life before yeah, that. Yeah, I was
1: a lawyer, and I um was I started an outdoor media company, did alternative, um you know, advertising, sold advertising on the sides of trucks and buses, and put up alternative billboards in New York City. And that was um, your own startup. That was my own startup.
0: How old were you when you started that?
1: I was twenty-five.
0: So did the entrepreneurial spirit come from, like, say, your parents or from your teen no, years? No, not at
1: all. Not at all. My my dad was a lawyer and a state senator and a judge and, you know, uh, incredibly hard worker and diligent. Um, my brother went to school with this really fun guy named Greg Smith. Greg Smith wanted to start an outdoor media company called Impression Per Mile. He actually started it and needed a lawyer to okay. start doing some deals and it was funny they were um, there the Atlanta Olympics were in one thousand nine hundred and ninety six yeah, Smitty went down there and he bought out for fifty thousand dollars of his mom 's money. He put a six month um, option down to exclusively own all the premium buses in Atlanta, wow. knowing that VIPs were going to need to drive around on those buses in Atlanta. In knowing that he had heard about this uh, technology, this outdoor media technology called Vinyl Wrap Bus Advertising, where now it's all over, but back then it was novel, I did, I did the deals with him. He made me his partner right away, and then we did the Atlanta Olympic – I mean we did the Jap, Jap, Japanese Olympics in Nagano wow. in 2008. And all the while, while we were going back and forth to Atlanta and Tokyo, um, we – we um, were building sort of an asset in New York where we were trying to get walls and we were trying to do a deal with the Hampton Jitney. You know, you, what you wanted to do there is you wanted to get regular routes um, right. on any kind of transportation. You know, so we were looking at people who delivered poultry and seafood because we knew that needed to be daily mm-hmm. or, you know, we, it was things like that. And we pulled it off. You know, we had big deals with. Um, Smirnoff and Nantucket Nectars and we sold uh we did the good we did all the outdoor for the goodwill games one year and so it was it was super fun and um I was making money you know I owed I owed law school loans but I I was in the first time in my life making money and um my parents while hardworking and successful you know money was not a goal for them they were right. they were more you know about community and giving back and things like that um, I wanted to make some money. I started to make some money. And then I was doing outdoor. And I thought, you know, at the time I was reading some self help books or something like that. And they would encourage you to think, where do you want to be in 10 years? And where do you want to be in 15 years? And I'm like 26 years old now. And I'm like, I really don't want to be selling outdoor. Bill- I don't want to be selling billboards when I'm 40 or when I'm 35. Like, as much as I enjoyed it and liked the money, and it was really interesting. But what that did, what that experience did, it opened me up to what media was. Right. I didn't understand media. I always loved the movies and I loved, you know, we hadn't had the golden age of TV yet. Um, But I loved film and I loved storytelling and I always thought I was a pretty good storyteller and could identify one. But that was just, you know, um, me thinking that. There was no justification. But when I saw the concept of outdoor media where you would secure a location – and then you would sell the location based on how many people saw that daily. Mm-hmm. I started to realize, well, that's how network TV works, you know, to a degree. Like, you know, um, network TV is only free, you know, it was only free back in the day because Coca-Cola, Pepsi right. and um, State Farm were, were paying for it's, it.
0: It's a rating and a CPA. We're funding it. Yeah. So, so
1: I kind of got the bug. I'd always wanted to be in my dream. I didn't even know what a producer was, but I was like, that would be fun. And I, I kind of, as I, when I was getting into the outdoor media thing and in law school, I kind of had the epiphany because I had had a ton of jobs. You know, I was a teacher. Um, I worked at the state capitol in Hartford um, as a, the clerk for the judi- judiciary committee. I clerked for the um, state's attorney in Bridgeport all through law school. And over my life, I, I had a ton of jobs. And I realized that for me to be successful, I needed to do something that I really loved doing otherwise i was going to be a middling middle manager pushing you know pushing paper
0: so the morris so the morris job you're 29 years old yeah what year is this again you said 98
1: some yeah august
0: 98 exactly okay so you're 29 years old you're one of the oldest guys in that mailroom i'm definitely the oldest guy in the mail room. i don't think we i've ever done a deep dive on this although i've interviewed plenty of people that came up through the agency ranks describe for people what the mailroom in morris in new york in the nineties was was like.
1: I mean the the mailroom was the mailroom of a huge building on uh I think it was thirteen twenty five six but it was on um between it was a building that took up half a city block. You know, it was between fifty third and fifty fourth right. on the corner of, you know, between sixth and seventh um on the corner of Seventh Avenue and it was an asbestos ridden Basement of a huge commercial building in New York. I mean, there was absolutely what you would think of it. Like you can't even imagine. It's a it's a crappy basement that had almost felt like um, if you looked at it, like almost like it was like almost like taxi. Yeah. Right. You've got Nick and um, I forget her name. Nick and Pam were kind of in the holding area. They were in the middle and they were in a little glass office, and all of the mailroom you know uh, workers. Sat outside in a table, waiting to do runs. Told to collate mail. Told to, um, you know, do the daily clippings. Told to go. I mean, you know, so what was the
0: system though? Was the, was the system that you will spend X amount of time in the mailroom and then eventually you will make it to desk? Like, what was the the promise made when you get in the program? Yeah,
1: you're about you're committed to kind of three six months roughly in the mailroom, but you could obviously get out earlier if you. Met someone through the process of delivering mail, but through the process of being a, you know, a low-level you know, trainee, executive trainee at William Morris. You get in contact with the agents. You get in, with the, you get in contact with the coordinators. And
0: you, and you kind of start to – and this was my experience when I was at CA – you start to kind of understand very quickly which department you want to be in. Right? You
1: do because there's personalities, but you understand the biz. Let me just get the dog is, is – oh, Does the dog make
0: a noise? All good. Sorry, dog. <laughs> the dog is breathing heavy right now. Which one, which one is that? This is Binkley. That's Binkley.
1: Named after the great Pits, the, the terrible, less Binkley, the terrible goalie of the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins in the
0: late 60s. You named your dog after a 1960s Penguins goalie. Yes, because okay.
1: my wife's a big Pittsburgh sports oh, fan. It's kind of a joke. It there you have fun. it.
0: All right, so describe it for me. You're now at the mailroom. Where is Ben Silverman? When do you first meet Ben? Is so, ben or Ben's I'm already there, an agent at this point? I can't point?
1: pass the typing test. I can't pass. It's sixty words a minute, which is actually kind of hard.
0: The typing test just seems so foreign an idea right now. Well,
1: I mean it's crazy, right? Because now people have voice activation and all that. But I have uh mild dyslexia and I couldn't pass the typing test. I don't know, it was like a mental block. So I would get to like just miss it by one word, and I'm like, come on guys, this is ridiculous. And they're like, sorry, those are the rules, you know, and they weren't cutting me any breaks. They're not cutting – you know, that's not their job. They didn't have to. But so I started to kind of understand the the rhythms of the company. I started to – you really understand who does what, where the money comes from. And then the TV department was – very successful but very insular. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a very tight insular group kind of run by Jim Griffin and James Dixon at the time. So when Ben came in from London in January of 2000 in January of 1999, okay. Um or or, or shortly thereafter, I tried to get on his desk and I went to SMU and a friend of mine at SMU, Lou Henderson was an agent at William Morris on the West coast. And he ran the di- he started their digital department and he knew Ben and he goes, cause I told him I was thinking of quitting and going back hat in hand to Smitty and saying, Oh God, I made a terrible mistake. I love billboards and I want to do that. And he's like, bef- lose like before you do that, talk to, you got to meet Ben. You should work for him. I think you guys had hit it off. And I go in and I meet Ben and I go by him. I'm rolling the mail, mail cart by uh, his office and I look in, and he looks like a distinguished gentleman. And I say, which he is. And he's, and young, I say, he's younger than you. He's two years younger, but he doesn't look two years younger. Right. You know, he always kind of, yes. he, you know, uh, he looks like a, like a gentleman, like experienced. an experienced yeah. guy, an experienced gentleman. You know, he, he's, and so he, he you, you, I couldn't tell how old he was. I didn't know. But I go in, and I said, Hey, I meant Lou, I'd love to work with you, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, um, I know Lou. He's, yeah, Lou told me he'd come by, Hey, look, I've already hired someone and i'm really not looking for um i'm really not looking for that you know you know i want a a more traditional assistant um and i was like i'll be that i mean i can do anything and he's like sorry i'm sorry you know i was like oh so i was despondent and i went down to the mailroom and now i'm really and then i gave it one more try um later in the day or the next day i said hey just want to let you know, I'm, I'm sitting down in the mailroom doing nothing. I mean, I know you just came here, and Ben had been in London for three years prior to running the international office. And so in his job was to now run international television at William Morris. And I said, um, I know you're com- you have a lot on your plate and stuff. Let me do some projects for you. They're not going to miss me down in the mailroom. They're going to um, – um, they won't even know. So he said, come back the next day. And let me see uh, – I'll consider it. Come back the next day. Come back the next day. And he said, okay, I have a project for you. Find me the top five advertising executives in New York City who are involved in funding television. Um, you know, and back in the day where advertising agencies owned and sold, owned um, soap operas and there was a tradition of TV right. movies being funded by companies like MediaVest and things like yeah. that. Um, You know, Jeff Grant, Chris Grant's dad, was kind of a pioneer in that field and made movies with advertisers for broadcast, you know. So uh, Ben said, do that. And I did it. You know, I went back and did research, and it was interesting. And I I learned some stuff. And, you know, a day later, I gave him the list of those executives. And he goes, okay, set meetings for me with them. So I went a little harder, right, but not impossible. And I did it. It was like... Mm -hmm. um, you know, Ben hadn't yet made his name,
0: but he. Um, but but okay, so at this point, he had been in London. Had he already sold Millionaire? No, no, because Millionaire doesn't go, come out to ninety nine. No, this is, this is yeah, no, yeah million.
1: Yeah. This is now ninety nine. I started working for right, him right. in March, but before I, he hires me, this is the process he makes me okay. do. Okay, he makes me go through, and so he goes, okay, set the meetings, and I set the meetings. And then he goes, okay, find me the top five. um um, finance executives who are funding film. I go and do that. I set those meetings and now I'm working with him and there's Denise, who's his assistant, who he, who he's hired. Um, and then there's myself and Denise is kind of, has been at William Morris for, for ages. She's had other, you know, she's now a floater, but she's had other assist, you know, other executives, agents that she's worked for. And, um, so I'm working for Ben now for two weeks next to Denise and, and Ben's coming in, uh, working LA hours, right? Mm-hmm. So he's coming in at 11 and he's working till midnight, yeah. right? So Denise is coming in nine to five, you know, she's, you know, uh, you know, she's, she, sure. um, has a family, right? She, yeah. she's doing what she does. Right. I, I don't know if she has a family. I think she had a ton of cats and, <laughs> uh, cats I, are family too. For some, they are of course, yeah. of course. Um, so, all, the head of HR calls Ben one day, like, and she goes, "Hey, he's she's Pat Galloway." She's like, "Hey, Ben, um, I, you know, I, I don't know what's going on here. You hired Denise, yet you have Denise and Howard. You know, you can't have two assistants." Ben's like, "No problem, no problem. I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't realize. I thought Howard was uh, allowed to do this." And of course, I'm on his calls. He's already taught me how to roll calls. It's like two weeks. We have a really good rhythm, and we get along really well. And he comes in, and I'm like. Oh, no. And he comes in, he goes, hey, just got a call from Pat Galloway, all of which he knows I know, right? I just got a call from Pat, Pat Galloway. She said I can't have two assistants. Unfortunately, you got to go down to the mailroom. And I'm like, oh, I mean, literally, yeah. I was just despondent. He goes, or if you want the job, you can go tell Denise, um, you know, that she no longer has it and you're the assistant. <laughs> he goes, you, you can go out and tell Denise and then you can have the job.
0: You can go tell the assistant the I can go assistant tell the current assistant that, that, you are replacing that her. I
1: am replacing her. Oh, my God. If I want the job, that's what I can do. And I didn't flinch. I'm like, no problem. I went out. And of course and the door you know, as I'm going out, Denise is already packing her stuff. You know, she's seen this before. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, she's yeah. seen this happen before and and she's packing her stuff and she was gracious. It's and, not like and, she's
0: not gonna find another desk. No, she had another
1: it wasn't yeah. like she wasn't leaving the agency. Right. It was just she, she right. was um
0: Right, they're just playing musical chairs at that point.
1: And I was a better fit in a lot of stuff. But it was funny because it was a little test, you know. I'm sure he was like, "Will you do it?" I mean, this wasn't, um, you know, you're still dealing with people's lives and and things like that. But um, and he ended up obviously talking to Denise and taking her to lot. You know what I mean? It was like it was all good. But I think it was an interesting kind of first step. Um, You were his
0: guy from that point on. I
1: was his guy. And then his ascension, you know, yeah, so, hit so, shortly thereafter in August of that year. So I, I started working for him in April. And in August of that year, um, Millionaire hit. And right. that was transformative for, you know, the TV business yep. and the network landscape and the form, you know, really for the global TV business and also for Ben's career. Weakest Link was and one of them And for too, my right? career, you, you know. Well, after that, you know, he represented um, – He represented one of the creators of Survivors. They represented – he represented Endemol, so they represented Big Brother. He had gone to Europe and signed Endemol, BBC, uh, Channel 4, Channel – you name it, right? Think of that now.
0: Think of that now if one agent represented – all those, factions, these
1: global media companies at know, a time
0: where it hadn't even blown up yet. He, and he had like cornered the market.
1: No, he had cornered the market before, he, any,
0: he, before anybody even knew that was a market. He had a
1: vision and, and until millionaire head, I still didn't kind of get it mm-hmm. because I was a novice in the business. I didn't really know what he did to tell you the truth. I was like, uh. and it was funny cause he was on vacation in August. Um, he went on this really fun vacation with um, fun, beautiful people. And he said, and he'd been working very hard. And, um, he had come back because his mom had had a health scare and he wanted to be closer to his family. His family is awesome. You know, they're like, became like my family. And, um, so he'd been working hard and he goes, don't bother me on this. He goes, I don't care what, don't call me. Don't send me a fax. I I don't want to be disturbed. I really want to rest. You know, I really just do me this favor. And I was like, no problem. I get it. You know? And so... Um, he goes, and I don't think you millionaire launched that week. Mm. And so he's getting calls from everyone from all the bigwigs at the agency to, you know, ABC, ABC, to the lead, like literally the senior leadership at ABC to. Um, He's getting calls from Bill Carter at the New York Times. He's getting calls from, you, you know, a, a kind of everyone in the TV biz. Can't believe it. It took it by storm. And so he calls me and he's like, all right, he's kind of calls me on like Tuesday or Wednesday. He goes, read me my call sheet. And I read him the call sheet. He goes, what? Are you are you kidding me? Is this a joke? I think it was, um, I think Iger and, you know, there were some
0: yeah, heavy, hitters.
1: heavy hitters were on there. And Regis and, and stuff yeah. like that. And um, he goes, what? And he he goes, what happened? What were the ratings of Millionaire? And he goes, read me the ratings. And I didn't know how to read ratings at that point. Okay, and I said it's a, you know, two three. Uh, it's a it's a twenty three. Right. He goes, you mean a two point? He's like, what? He goes, it can't be a two three. I think it was a two three share at the time, and which is crazy. You know, yeah. almost a quarter of the. You mean a twenty
0: three percent share? Twenty three percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry,
1: twenty three percent share, which is like crazy, it's insane. And he's like, what? <laughs> and so that was the beginning. That was Blast Off. And, you know, from there, um, you know... Well, from... let's fast forward
0: to the Reveille exit. Right? Yeah, of course. So who was the core... There was the core four, right? There was the core four of you guys at Morris that departed. Yeah, right?
1: I was the first. You were the first. I mean, you were I the guy. The you first, were the first one. And um, and then it was Coops. And then it was Chris. We had to... Mark, weirdly, Koops, Chris. prod Mark Coops and Chris Grant. We yeah. had to prod both of those guys. In retrospect, which is crazy.
0: Was one uh, were they other people's assistants, or was one of them now working for you as your assistant, or how? Did I, I think
1: all... Chris was Betsy. Chris had been my assistant. Okay. And Coops had been Ben's assistant at Morris. Yeah. I got Ben, uh, I got Coops on Ben's desk Okay. and then Todd Cohen replaced Coops. And I think Coops was the international coordinator. Okay. Okay. Um, and we had already kind of working toward Reveille. There, there was a point where Ben had been negotiating. He had been approached by Diller who he met through Michael Jackson. Um,
0: not, not Michael, Michael TV,
1: TV's Michael Jackson, great man. And, um, who used to run Channel Four, and that's how Ben knew him. And so he had been approached, and he was thinking of starting a um, a TV company. Right. You know, he 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 said, "This is what we're going to do." And I was in New York. I was making you know forty grand a year. My wife was making three times as much as I was, and we had a ten month old baby. You know, a four month old baby. And Ben's like, "We're going to California," and I was really excited, but Marnie was like, "What?" What are you talking about? We don't know anyone. I've never even been there. What's this new new company? This new company. You were working with the Morris Agency. My parents thought that sounded good. (laughs) This is crazy. And so Ben came over and met Marnie and convinced her. And um wow. we moved out on memorial day of 2002 memorial day weekend and i'll never forget i had already been out there i'd been out there for a couple months kind of setting up the office setting up the bungalow and getting starting our sales operation and stuff like that ben had been out there as well we had both been out there kind of you know in earnest launching the thing and marnie came um labor uh, memorial day week and i picked her up at the airport it's right around her birthday so i'd missed her birthday and she just weeped the whole she was crying the whole car ride and i was taking her over to a friend's house and i remember i just like i was like oh boy i hope i didn't botch this and uh but she 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 recovered in in great form and you know that's kind of how we launched. you
0: guys are on the universal lot and you guys come out firing i mean nashville star biggest loser um, 30 days, right? Scripted side. You the restaurant. The restaurant. You get Blowout, you get the, the tutors and Ugly Betty in the office on the scripted side, and you're on the Universal lot. You're launching this international distribution company that isn't even like a thing yet, that Chris Grant is just kind of like thrown on a whim. Like, hey, Chris, you kind of run with the international biz, yeah. right? And it becomes like one of the most valuable parts of Reveille sure. next to the biggest loser franchise, which is really what right. like, was really like the dominating force of what gave the company its worth when it sold right 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 um what what was the name reveille based on did you and were you part of that decision or did ben just throw this out one day ben came Why up
1: ben came up with the idea um of reveille ben wanted to call was thinking heavily of calling it like silverman studios or yeah ben silverman productions and i was like do not do that right i was like that is a mistake you know for because we saw it we represented clients who had you know what do they call it Epono- eponymous yep. you know yep. brands right yeah. and the, pr- the thing is you you're the, you have to be on the set like you have to be there if you're not there doing it then right. it's not you lo- it loses value Well, right? also prescient- so by
0: creating a brand yeah also prescient thinking what happens if you sell it and you leave exactly What's, exactly what is, what, what, happens- is ben, what is ben silverman company yeah, what without is ben, ben silverman
1: without that yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so just there's a lot of reasons why so I convinced him. I liked Reveille is you know a wake up call. Whose idea was it? That's Reveille. Right. That's camp. That's the you know the bugle. That's the bugle. Right. You know. You know. That's the wake up call. I think Foreign Legion or you know it was you know it's been and so wake up call to the industry. It was a great you know it's a great name. And but whose
0: name? Whose idea was it? Was actually Ben.
1: I think it was Ben. Do you remember? No, I do. I think it was Ben, and a friend of Ben's kind of put it out there. Okay. I'm forgetting. It might have been Stanley, his dad. Okay. Um, oh, but yeah, sense. it was a great, you know. And, and also, we kind of liked it because Lou Wasserman's big TV company, yeah. you know, when he was running MCA, the TV armor that was Review. Mm. Um, so it had nice kind of, kind of, you know, it sounded like a, a real cool company. And then half people couldn't pronounce it, which was fun too.
0: Give me okay. So I want to go to some of the greatest hits real quick. What but hold you... on, but I'll just say yeah. that you
1: said, like, we came out of the gates. Yeah. It did, you know, in retrospect, it's kind of like that, but it didn't feel like that. You, no. you know, it didn't feel like that. It took, you know, we failed with Coupling, our first um, network sitcom for, CBS, for NBC, which they had put a lot of marketing to and a lot of faith, and the cast was great, and it felt like a great show. And, you know, that was canceled after three episodes. Yeah. And so that comes off the air, and you're like, whoa, this is how it works, you know? Net, um, the restaurant, which is our first thing we created, that had tons of stops and starts. We had Robert De Niro and Jane uh, Rosenthal, you know, almost attached for like four months, and that didn't happen. And ultimately, we got you know Rocco DiSpirito and brought Mark Burnett in to produce um, with us. So that was a cool learning experience. But you know, we also did that funded by advertisers, right? You, you know, so and that was actually kind of one of the key points of. Reveille because mm. the way the restaurant came together, Sebastian Scott and I kind of devised that show and um, wrote it up and conceived it. And then um, Ben's like, This will be great for advertisers. And Ben went and did a deal with um, the Amex IPG. Okay. Um, I believe it was IPG. And so they had Amex, Mitsubishi, mm. and Coors. Okay. Okay so but the 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 only reason that's interest that that's interesting now cuz then then it became fairly that happened a lot but we own the show right so we own the show so network broadcast show we own it it's our first show even though it was a doc it was super cool so the first year at mip we're there the restaurant nbc revely selling it it sold like hotcakes in between that and 911 we launched our international division mm. and um That helped us a ton, you know, differentiated us because as agents, we had the international market kind of dialed, but as producers, this was kind of proof, immediate proof that we had that. And it added a a level of, um, you know, you know, intrigue and interest to our biz. People knew that we, we, we could find great formats. And so we always, it it was helpful, Mm. right. You know, and also from a business model, just to begin with an international production distribution unit was helpful and lucrative and all, all money. Yeah doesn't cost a lot you know and it's it's all a lot of revenue and good profit so um so that was great, but then Nashville Star and um the office and biggest loser came, you know. And date my mom and parental control. And now it's like you guys, and thirty are, days, you guys and stuff are these like that.
0: Dingy bungalows on the Universal. We're lot. in dingy
1: bungalows, but those were I, all like all those have individual. They're all they were. It was all hard. You oh, know, nothing. It was all grinding. Oh no! You but, know?
0: but true or false? Biggest Loser sold socially at a Super Bowl party? No, that's not true. I mean,
1: maybe it was socialized there, and maybe okay. maybe maybe you know, Biggest Loser was sold.
0: Yeah.
1: Off a of one sheet to Jeff Gaspin.
0: Gaspin, right.
1: Ben and I and Coops went and saw Jeff and um we sold it in the room. I believe it was eight episodes. That was the way Nashville Star was sold on a you know a three sheet. You know, right. these were these were three sheets. You know, this is the way it used to work. And um Does that blow your mind now? Kind of, but it makes like a good idea is a good idea. And yeah. if you and on those shows, we, they, there was belief there that we could do it shockingly for new producers. They're like, yeah, you can do it. And, you know, and NBC and Jeff helped, you know, and, and Doug Herzog and Jeff Wachtel helped us, um, with that, you know, it was like sort of, yeah. there was a very, and the fact that we had a first look with NBC, but we were very, um, cozy with them. Mm-hmm. They were incredibly supportive. Um, and, and so that was good, you know, to have those guys kind of in our, in our corner.
0: So you guys go on this meteoric run. You are just amassing executive producer credits. You got so much business going. I remember the moment Ben gets the NBC job. Or, when did you come in? Okay. So I come in in 0- 05. No, I come in in 06. Okay. No, 07. Okay. 07. Because I was at CAA uh from 06 to 07. Okay. And I start working for Ben on a Monday, and he's made chairman of NBC that Friday.
1: Oh so, my God. So
0: I, but I remember vividly coming to the Reveille bungalows. Yeah. And I'm thinking, I'm going to go interview at the company that makes The Office and the Tutors on Showtime and Biggest List, all these massive, massive shows. And I walk in and it's these tiny dingy bungalows with, on the universal with lot.
1: really crap brown carpets. Oh, I yeah. mean it was no. dank. And Dang. furniture that was like pulled from a set. You yes. Know, for, you know just like <laughs> yes. incredible. Yes.
0: And you've got assistants like piled on top of each other like crammed and little paper desks. Paper everywhere and, like boxes. Yes. yes. And uh. like filing cabinets and, and, and just like assistants like using like furniture that's not furniture as desks. You know like all these things going on and I'm like this is This is the company that makes the office. What is going on right now?
1: (laughs) And CAA invented, you know. Yeah, I'd been at CAA. A beautiful building.
0: I'd moved into the new building. I was part of that class that moved from the Wilshire to to the Avenue of the Stars building. So I walk over, I'm like, "What is going on?" And Ben did not look me in the eye for more than like five seconds the whole interview. He was typing emails the whole interview. And but that's when I came in. I started on Monday. I'm driving home that Friday, and my brother calls me. He's like, "You should go online right now. I think your new boss is the head of NBC."
1: Oh my God, so that's
0: crazy! How much did you know? Because this would then be the next step in your career. You would now yeah, make I knew, the you know, transition. I was,
1: I was, I, you know, I, I was, um, I was involved. I thought it was a bad idea, mm-hmm. but as it became closer and as it became apparent that he was going to do it, I thought, okay. Good idea. So he you know, was keeping you guys
0: in the loop. That, like I'm meeting Zucker. He was about keeping this. me in the loop. Keeping you in the loop.
1: He was keeping me in the loop. I, I okay. don't. I don't know um, how much the other guys knew. I don't think he wanted it out there that big. Right. And you know, but it was also an epic opportunity for me. Right. You know, it was an epic opportunity for me. A because at that point we were like, because we never th- we never made the company to sell the company. Let right. me be like, everyone's like, oh my god, you guys are such – business, you guys are so good at the business of it and you guys are so have such foresight and it's like really, we just love what we did Yeah, and we were way more interested in the creative than the business ever, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, the business was a means to um, you know, to getting to produce great stuff but our focus wasn't on getting great deals, our focus wasn't, you know, our obsession was creating culture and finding new shows and being able to bring them to audiences and sell them around the world. And we did it really well um, for a while. And that was what drove us. And then when Ben went to become co-chairman of NBC, that's when I'm like, Oh, there there, will probably be an event now. You know, Ben is certainly, this will be and Ben had given all of us healthy interest in the company. He, I
0: remember that phone call. I remember I was on, I was on every call. And I remember being in the NBC offices where you, Chris, uh, Mark, and Lee call him up and you guys... Because when when Ben first left, people have to remember, it wasn't like planned that, oh, now I'm going to sell the company. It was like, public pressure kind of mounted, mounted right, and, right? and it was like, Ben, you need to sell the company. You can't have your production company selling you shows at NBC. You can't have a stake. in. Well, both. they were
1: already sold, but they just happened to be the number one shows at NBC. We yeah. put a lot of pressure on Ben all right. of a sudden right. and it wasn't intended to be that. Yeah. The company you,
0: know? you own, you, the company you own has Is a their first biggest look. Supplier? Is your biggest supplier. I
1: don't think we had the first look anymore, but any, oh, we you didn't have, have that anymore. No, no, we, we probably did actually. Um, so, so yeah.
0: So it, it, it was a matter of like, seemingly like. Nine months or something? He sells it to Shine. Yeah. And Liz Murdoch, so you've been running this company in Ben's absence, and you've been getting a lot of great stuff going, right? American Gladiators is percolating. Yeah. Right? And and now all of a sudden, you're now being sold to a UK company yeah. with relationships that – I don't I – don't, had you ever met Liz Murdoch before?
1: I had because we, we represented her when oh, we were okay. William Morris. Got it. Got um, it. And
0: how big was Shine at this point when Shine buys – when Shine buys Revley, how big are they at that point?
1: Shine is 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 pretty maybe three or four companies. I think they have Princess Productions, which we used to represent. You know, um, Sebastian Scott, Henrietta Conrad. Yeah, so they 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 were a pretty small company. Um, but this, what a great opportunity! to Have a hu- you know, great beachhead. Um, the the most successful independent company in L.A. at the time, I think, independent right. TV company. And so they were prescient. Now, we had been in a sales process. So when Ben left, I think, you know, five months, six months later, it became clear that it was untenable, his situation as co-chairman and, you know, owning, um, you know, the majority interest in, uh, in, in the company that, you know, is supplying NBC. And so...
0: Oh, yeah. Wait, I got to go back to that. So I'm on the phone call listening to you guys call up and you guys are like kind of talking through, you know, your guys's split of like the taste that Ben's going to give you. Because yeah. like the numbers kind of been settled on. And you guys are talking very friendly, by the way. You guys are talking about like the split you're going to get. And I swear to God, I like almost dropped the phone. I almost dropped because at that point I'm like 26 years old. I'm like this is how much people make when companies sell. Like I had, this is my first experience. Like, I don't know what my expectations were. Right, I right, was like, right. oh my God, like good for these guys. I was like, right, unbelievable.
1: Right. No, it was great. It was great. And, and, and that was, I'm sure the first of many discussions because it got hairy for a while, not with, not with Ben, but just with sort of Liz, you know, because then yeah. we were negotiating with Liz because mm-hmm. it doesn't work unless you have employment deals. And then, yeah. you know, so it became- Did you then
0: have to like re-up and extend your contract? Yeah. You guys all had to then sign long term deals. Yeah,
1: because we, we didn't really have deals. You know, we, right. we didn't like contract we didn't you know, I didn't have a I don't even think I had a contract. You so know, you we didn't have handshakes. a
0: contract until Revely sold.
1: I think I maybe had two you know, but it was like literally the yeah. deal Ben was such a great Ben was such a, a, a great boss in many ways because what he would do is you know he he'd kind of give you a low base but then when bonus came time you'd be like you know I need this he'd usually give you a little more than you expected mm-hmm. and like that's a great kind of way cuz then you kind of forget about your salary you know you're like oh my god in deliver in success right. cuz i was i was yeah. obviously
0: yeah
1: um doing well um for of, the company you know and so it's he, kind
0: of the agency model right a little
1: bit yeah 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 but he it was just it, it, it was fun and and so yeah so then the sale went down
0: You guys sell MasterChef. Yeah. You get American Gladiators on the air. Yeah. Shine, Reveille, whatever, it's now rolling. And you decide now at some point, okay, I'm going to go make the transition and go run a network.
1: We had supercharged um, when Liz came in. Yeah. You know, all, you know, for our current properties became huge, right? They became the biggest shows at NBC. You know, Office and Biggest Loser became massive cash cows. You know, at first they were great, but they were not
0: Mm -hmm.
1: huge, right? And so those became huge. And then uh, MasterChef was really successful yeah, um, and became really successful. We had a great deal on that because we had an offer from – at the last minute CBS made an offer Mm. and it allowed us to really – improve our deal at Fox. So that was a really great deal. Were
0: they the only two networks that made bids when you took it out? They were the
1: only, they were the only two networks who made bids. And did you have Gordon in the room? No, because we were actually CBS wanted to do it and wanted to do it with Bourdain. Wow. And so I had sold it to CBS, to Nina and to, um, Jen Bresnan. Okay. And meaning I had, you know, told I I was very clear that we had another offer and I kind of thought that it would be, I thought there was already like um gordon already had like two or three shows at fox i'm like i mean this is going to be a little but gordon was amazing and, and that was successful anyway we had turned reveille into more of a business under liz and alex meaning that we had figured out a way to monetize our assets in a very efficient and successful way and so there was a Reveille was now making a lot of money, and then when she sold Shine to Fox, mm-hmm. um, that's when we knew we were going to leave. You know, okay. that, that's when we kind of knew we were going to leave. And she brought in a guy, Emiliano, to kind of oversee Shine America, and we were Shine America. You right. know, we were. You know, we weren't gonna. That wasn't gonna fly. You know, we we, we ran the company. We knew what we were doing. And I think in all honesty, we had been there for a long enough time that it was probably time for new, you know, horizons. And so I left without a job, you know, after Mm. she sold, uh, upon the sale of Fox, of, of Shine to Fox, I left and took the summer off and took the family to Africa and did some things that I'd wanted to do for a long time. And then when I came back... My friend David Lyle and I had been talking to my friend David Lyle because he was now um, the CEO of National Geographic Channels globally, and I I didn't even know National Geographic had a channel until about five months earlier, (laughs) when one of the Shine companies was trying to sell a show. And um, but David Lyle was the president, uh, was the CEO of National Geographic Channels, and he started asking me people to hire, and he was like, "What should I do here? Who's good at this?" And who's, is there anyone good in New York and DC you can get me? And I, so I was giving him advice and then he's like, well, why don't you consult for me? And I'm like, I don't want to, I'm like, I don't want to be a consultant. I want to, I'm enjoying my downtime number one, but I'm going to do something next and I'm going to put all my energy to it. I think that'll be my thing. And so we started to talk and he's like, well, why don't you come and be, you know, help me run the channels. And I was like, well, I would only – I was immediate. like the only way I would do that is – and my, my father-in-law worked for National Geographic for about 10 years in the 90s mm. and was a fundraiser for them. So there was – my my family really – and I grew up loving Nat Geo. Um, so I was like, wow. And it was D.C. And I thought it could be fun to get out of L.A. for a few years. I thought for my family, I think Riley, the girls were nine and six – so er, young enough to 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 do it without it being you know totally emotionally painstaking, and um, so we did it. I met you know the members of the Nat Geo board and was hired and got in there, and that was just ton of fun. You know,
0: any particularly great David Lyle stories? I mean, the man is oh the man God. is a legend.
1: I mean, you know, every story about David is great. I, I think the thing about David that was most um, illuminating when I began working with him was that, you know, he's got this kind of party spirit. You know, people say he loves to have fun and which he does, you know, which is one of his hallmarks. But um, he also is a great businessman and he's got great right brain, left brain kind of um, combo. You know, he's uh, a great creative, but he also is strong with numbers and just a really good manager with an epic work ethic. And I think, we together were were a good combination at that time for the channels and did a lot of cool stuff.
0: You guys went on a great run together.
1: We did. I mean, I came in with the book with the rights for killing um, Lincoln.
0: How did you get those? Did you go to O'Reilly?
1: No. My friend George Freeman, who's an agent at William Morris, who represents Ridley Scott and represents Russell Crowe and, and people like that. He's a film agent. Um, we became friends from the Morris days. and. Um, he called me up and goes, I have this, I'm representing Ridley. Mm. Um, the agency represents O'Reilly. Mm. I think there's something in this book, Killing Lincoln. I'm like, there's definitely something in this book, Killing Lincoln. Let's, I'd love to help you. Mm. And so this was me as an independent producer. And then as Nat Geo kind of closed in, I wow. said, George, we should, I'm going to go to Nat Geo and run Nat Geo. And this is going to be my first project. He's like, great. Wow. And sure enough, I went in and we did it. And then the Nat Geo board freaked out uh, because they said that we were this was the Foxification of Nat Geo. It had nothing to do with Fox. You know, the only thing that Fox did, Fox News was a great you know, it plugged the book. It made a lot of people want to watch it and want to read it and stuff like that. But there was some um, you know, fair degree of internal um resistance. Resistance, but you know, we pushed it through and That was one, you know, we ended up obviously doing killing Kennedy after that and um, killing Jesus after that. And that was a great run. And then, um, but, you know, there we kind of got in and we took a lot of, we did a lot of trial and error, you know, and I think internally we kind of got, Beat up for that, but we really didn't know our audience. You know, the number one shows when we got there were Alaska State Troopers and Taboo. Yeah. Which was a show about (laughs) weird sexual proclivities. You know, it was like so and and they're locked up abroad. Yeah. Right. So those were the shows. So they had passed on Gold Rush.
0: Wow. I didn't know that. Right.
1: They had passed on Gold Rush, but because you have to be very careful about the natural World, You know, the, you know, you know, you know, digging up, digging up, um, um, plundering the earth, you know, you know, so, so they're, they're very, they, at the time they were very sensitive of that and rightfully so. But, um,
0: but you bought their new number one show in life below zero that was under your watch
1: prior to that. It was wicked tuna, okay. which I came in and Lyle had bought and was very nascent and there was a lot of problems with wicked tuna, the society, you know, was very concerned and david and i felt at the time you know that you know there's no higher there's no more regulated fishing industry in the world than the united states these are guys who did jobs that their parents did and their grandparents did and literally there there's a quota they're catching maybe 20 fish a year so for me i was like it's not that bad to kind of explore those, um, those stories as long as they're done under the right purview. Um, so anyway, so, so after Wicked Tuna, um, we had done brain games right. and we made brain games into, uh, a great hit. You know, that was a fun show and something that the society was really psyched about and was a really hard show to make. Um, and then life below zero, you know, that was one of the, that, that was one, Um, great producer, uh, Travis Shakespeare at BBC had, had made an amazing tape and, uh, he ran the show and made it incredible. And that was one of my favorite shows. I mean, that's a dark edgy brooding show. Um, we got, we saw it and we bought it before it left the room. Um, we made a 10 episode order and that stuff literally based on a tape, you know, based on a three minute sales reel. And, um, So that was great, and then we expanded Wicked Tuna to do, you know, North versus South. Um, And and, um, what
0: was what was the biggest eye-opening experience? Now being on the buying side, like when you first made that transition, you had never been on at a network before, and now you're running a network at the highest level. I mean, at
1: that time, I would say the biggest eye-opening experience was that. They don't know that much more than we do, <laughs> you, you know. I was sort of like expecting to go in and and seeing like you know this big bag of tricks, and they're like, oh, here's how you do this, and here's how you get audience here, and here's how you do you know. And you're like, they're like, what do you got? <laughs> what are you gonna, you know? I'm like, well, who's the you know who's the audience? What are we going for? They're like, we don't know, you know. They're like, we we're trying to find it, we're trying to figure it out, you know. I think that was the biggest surprise, I would say
0: being a seller though for so long were you was it interesting to now see how other people pitch oh that was my favorite sell?
1: thing you know that was my favorite thing to be pitched you know to be I, I had been i had been in pitches with mark burnett you know i consider ben to be the best you know salesman in the biz and one of the best salesmen in any you know i've, I've the best salesman i've ever I've met in my life um in across fields not just for tv but yeah. for brands for apps for for you name it you know Mark Burnett is obviously right up there. I mean, he was phenomenal. But then, you know, at Nat you got to see Polygian and Beers and Dick Wolf and, you know, just a a variety. So that was a real thrill to see how other production companies prepared, pitched, followed up. It was amazing because we were never represented at um, Reveille. Mm -hmm. So it was amazing to deal with the agents and see who was good and Mm -hmm. who kind of wasn't and who – you know so that was really and, fun and
0: also that there was no one way to pitch and be successful right yeah right
1: it's, no there's no one way to pitch um and it's a relationship biz you you know you really realize that and where the relationship thing really comes in handy is like you're going to make uh, a 10 million dollar investment um and um it's you know and, and you want to know that if things go bad and they usually do, right? If something comes up and there's a crisis and, you know, we know that always happens, you want to know that people are there and that are in the foxhole with you and that are, you know, side to side and are not going to bail and not going to be weak of constitution and fortitude, right? So so that to me is where the – relate, you know, knowing people outside of pure business to kind of get a feel for their – you know, their ethics and their, and their, the way they conduct business more than just the X's and O's. Right. You know? Right. So, so it was all super interesting. And DC was so fun for my family. You know, we love living there. We had some friends, but met great people. And then it was just uh, you know, that was a great experience to see. And it was also global, you know, the channels were global. I oversaw three channels, you know, there all the channels there. Um, and, um, Just a, you know, a terrific experience.
0: So propagate. Yep. The word propagate, the name propagate. Did you already have that sitting in your back pocket for years thinking that will be the next venture? No, but I
1: did. I was was running. I was taking a run in D.C. right after I left, and I was running up um, the Potomac, and I was passing the Watergate building. I don't know why, and I was thinking, like, what such strong word? I was like, the, the gate. I don't know why, and then propagate popped into my head, huh. and I was like, I liked it because it was kind of a scientific world, and I liked it because, you know, what it means is you're you're you're, 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 you're pushing forward. You know, you're you're unleashing um, life, mm-hmm. right? You know, you're. Un- and I like to think that one of the things that you know Ben and I and our team did was to help creatives be as creative as possible and to take our creativity and combine it with others to make, you know, one plus one equals four. And so I like the concept of, you know, pushing things forward and evolving in a positive way um, and, you know, again, one plus one equal 10, you know, that's right. kind of our business philosophy. i tr- we try to get out of the, you know, w- w- we don't, we try to avoid high maintenance, you know, relationships and, um, you know, most of the projects that we tackle are by nature, complicated and, and challenging. I think when someone wants to buy a show from us, right, they're not looking to buy the average down the middle show. They're looking to buy something that's a little challenging and out there because they know that's the left is center. center, That's kind of our approach. So, you know, that, that's kind of how the name came up.
0: I want you to give me the whole breakdown of what the company is now, but you were talking to me off microphone earlier. So I was like, hey, I always like to ask people if there's any like memorable pitch meetings or embarrassing pitch meetings that everybody can like relate to and draw from. And you were about to tell me one. I was like, no, 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 yeah. wait, wait till we're, we're rolling. So we were. This we is were, early days of Propagate. Early right?
1: days of Propagate. Very early days of Propagate. And I had uh, one development executive and an assistant, and I had hired some people freelance to help uh, with the tapes and things like that. And I was going into New York to go and see, um, A&E networks, who's, okay. who's an investor and had been so great to work with and really across the board. And they had a network that they were starting to invest in called FYI. And they were looking, I think we got a mandate and they were looking for food and, you know, left center. I, I don't know, you know, some sort of food.
0: There's a lot of food lifestyle, a lot of food or,
1: lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. And so one of the kids at the company came up with an idea for a chef show for a, for a chef show that sounded kind of cool and it was starring a chef who i had never heard of but apparently was the flavor of the day and had um and so there was a specific show and they really wanted me to pitch that show and i wasn't that comfortable with it but i was like i'll put it out there right Um, But we were pitching, like, we were going over our slate, and that was kind of at the end of it. However, I did soft pitch it with this guy, and it turned out the chef was dead. (laughs) So it turned out that I pitched a show um, that was sort of centered around a, a guy. And the
0: hold on you had you softball pitched a show at the end of your meeting and like oh and then we have this other thing with this guy and this is the chef
1: yeah but of course that's all that anyone talked about at you know <laughs> at fyi and, and things like but that so who
0: who who called you out and knew that, that the chef was dead
1: like, i think was it- in the meeting the guys like i think that guy just died i, th- I think the guy you know you know i was like Oh, yeah, whatever. I, I just was like, whatever. You know, I, I was like, we don't need to look at our phones and check it out. It was obviously a, just a thought. Um, you know, we could always use another chef. But
0: then they uh, said to actually, no, 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 let me go on my computer right now. Kind and like, of. And, and and they got to the bottom they, of it.
1: They, I didn't let him do that because I was obviously embarrassed and, you know, mortified. But, you Ow. know, I, I, did, I did hear that it was kind of passed around and I called the exec. You did? I did. I said, hey, you know. Now now everyone knows because I just yeah. told it out loud. Yeah. But it was funny. You know, when when you have a little success, um, you can laugh at that stuff. At the time, I was I was not happy. So
0: I, now that you're telling me this, I feel like I've heard this story before. But I think the punchline that I've heard, which to me is one of the – it may not be true, but it's one of the funniest parts of the story that I've heard is after the realization sets in that this guy, this, this guy, chef has passed away, I think that the line that I heard is that you you go – it's really about the format. <laughs>
1: I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. The talent is fungible. <laughs> I'm sure I did.
0: Uh, so uh, as a room, I, I refer to people that are great sellers as room generals, right? It's just like this phrase I, I use. And like the foremans of the world, the Burnets, you, Ben. What is like your philosophy in the pitch room when you're coming in for a big meeting do you have a philosophy do you rehearse like i talked to jd roth on the podcast jd's like i've never rehearsed a pitch in my life like i know the pitch i know the concept why would i rehearse why would i rehearse it
1: well oftentimes we're 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 doing it with you know it's not just one person pitching you you know so you want to make sure that specific people who are speaking to their part of the story because oftentimes it's a it's a team effort are hitting that you Mm -hmm. know but we don't really rehearse a lot because we put a lot of time into development. Yeah. You know, I think that what I do seek to do is that when there are, when we're pitching with a partner or someone on our team wants to take the lead, you know, I kind of like, just, I, I want us as creative, as a creative team to kind of understand, um, you know, how to work with each other and how to make sure that the person who is the most knowledgeable and most passionate is basically the lead guitarist, mm, you know? Mm, mm, and I, I try to teach mm. my people that, you know, don't, you know, you know, their 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 strength to laying down the bass line and setting someone up to go and, and rip a solo and knock it out of the park. You know, everyone's not everyone is not lead dog. And that's hard, you know, because the people that we generally hire and work with are people that are, you know, want to be um want to take the ball and run with it. And that's something that Ben and I like it's, we look for, but you also have to know when to let someone else be the boss and to let someone else be the deliver the punchline. And that's hard for a lot of people to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's right now I've thought of it before, but it's kind of like the Beatles analogy. It's like, They sang the songs that they each wrote. Like George Harrison would sing his songs. Totally, Ringo would sing his songs. Right. John and Paul wrote the most, so they sang the most. Yeah. But if you have someone on your team where it's their baby and they clearly know the material best and they're the most passionate about it, it doesn't matter that their name's not on the door. Let them. Let them. No, even if they're
1: junior. I mean, I want my. Even if they like, you know, I I think the whole point is you want people to grow and you want your creatives to be able to go do it on their own if you're not there. I mean that's yeah. the point of a company. We want to create um, a slate and we want to create a deep bench of creative people that are multi-skilled. Yeah. You know, that can develop and that can produce and that can sell and that understand enough about deal to to cut through the the red tape mm-hmm. which which envelops so much of what we do. So, um, and and now, you know, and also identify buyers for the right property, you know, go into the room, like, like, don't go into a pitch and not have watched the network Mm -hmm. and know the best show on the network. You know, Mm -hmm. nothing is a, you know, a a better sales tool to be sitting with a network and saying, Oh my God, I just saw that show. And that scene, um, was amazing because generally speaking, they know the scene, they're proud of it and they immediately know that you're. You know, you're not just a bystander, that you're, yeah. you're, you're really in it. And, and at Nat Geo, I really saw a lot where people would come in and would have no idea about the network. And at first I didn't care because I didn't really know anything and it was an unsung, but as we became, began to have success and got it on the map and became, you know, an opportunity for people, um, you know, it, it would really annoy me when agents or people would pitch me up and, and really try to press to get shows in that had no, that would never live on the network. And I, I would tell
0: them. Do you do you think that for someone to ascend to a high level, you know, to be a CEO one day and, and you know, on the buying or selling side, do you think it's necessary or a good thing to jump over to the other side and experience that life, how you did? You jumped over to Nat Geo. Do you think you're a stronger executive and producer now as a result of making that jump at one point?
1: I think it's helpful. I think the, you know, the the two biggest differences are, you know, the bureaucracies. You know, generally speaking, when you're in a company like your company, um, you know, you want people who are passionate. You're not like, you're not trying to make people do things that they're not good at. You're not, you know, generally speaking, you're not testing people and you're also not putting people in competitive situations with the other. You know, we're looking for a company where people are happy to come and work and, yeah, we want people to, to, to be successful and to, to be proud of it. But, you know, generally speaking, you know, my experience with companies um, are that they're generally political and they're not really meritocracies. You You mean, you you mean on the, on the the buy side, you know, you know, it's like, it's harder to, a lot of people take credit for the wins. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people take credit for the wins and I have always believed, you know, let people take credit for the wins. You take credit for the bad stuff. You know, you, you've got to kind of own. And I've learned most of the stuff through my failures. You know, all the wins feel like I got lucky and, you know, things came together and it was uh, good timing, right? I mean, some of the best shows we produced are, are ones that didn't work, you know, mm-hmm. and um, for whatever reason, it didn't reach audience. And you have to own up to that and at big companies there's not a ton of there's often not a ton of corporate responsibility there's not a ton of personal responsibility mm. people shunt the you know the stuff that doesn't work is someone else's problem the stuff that does work people jockey for and it's just that that you you know if you're a, a producer and you're an entrepreneur like it'd be it's good to go into a company and see how the buying and the scheduling and the distribution and the marketing and all of that stuff coalesces because it does give you more perspective. Um, but it's not something that you wouldn't necessarily get just by being an astute observer and participant in the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, I, I don't, you know, and I would say I w- the only thing I would caveat is say it's changed with Netflix. You know, it's changed now with algorithms that are, sol- that would be interesting. You know, I'd like to be on the inside there and see how those decisions Truly are made. Truly knowing your
0: audience now. Like Truly you said.
1: knowing your audience and seeing, you know, because that is super interesting and something that, you know, I always wanted to take advantage of. I always, Nat Geo is always seeking to understand using social media, using anything to figure out who's the core Nat Geo fan, what do they like, you know, and you could find that out from how they vote to what they drive to where they live to what they, what their job is, to how many kids they have, to what their biggest hobby is, to what, Music they like, like you can take that, I feel like. Um, but Netflix is obviously, and in, in the, in the digital providers have taken that to a totally umpteenth level.
0: I gotta get you out of here, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna get a couple more in here real quick. Is this the most fun you've had in your career? Um, I mean, you've had, you've had these different stops, these different stations along the way the Morris Run, Reveille 1.0, Shine Reveille Run in the Joint. You know, not geo,
1: I really try only to do stuff that I enjoy, you know, which is, I don't mean that. I mean, I do stuff every day that that's hard and is not my favorite thing. You you know, I don't mean it like that, but I mean, whole, you know, holistically, um, we are enjoying ourselves, you know, we're working, uh, with, with new people, which is always fun. Um, we 're seeing new distribution um, new distributors and new methods of distribution arise. The global markets changed a ton, which has been a challenge but something that 's super fun as people who live in that world and love to travel and love to see how other cultures consume content so you know we are definitely i 'm having fun i, I 'm reserving whether it 's the most fun i 've ever had because i 'm in the deep i 'm in deep you know I'm yeah. in deep the most fun um, was the early days of, of Reveille, you know, yeah. to date. That was the most fun because yeah. we were really forerunners, um, you know, on the cusp of doing something. Even though we didn't kind of know it, we kind of did. Yeah. And, and that was super cool. It's
0: like people on a sports team that have won multiple rings. They always say your first ring yeah. is like the most special, right? And yeah. The, and the most fun, right? And that well, was see, really – I
1: still want another ring. <laughs> you're
0: going you're to get – I think you have plenty of rings. I, wanna, uh, I, wanna, I,
1: wanna, I want more.
0: Last one. So you've got two daughters. One of which is uh, getting ready to start looking at colleges. Yeah, I've got two little girls. Right, uh, my kid my girls are two and a half years apart. What is the key to raising uh, two girls?
1: Um, for me, you know, every, everyone's different. For me, it's having a great partner and my wife. You, you know, I good think answer. like good you answer. Know, yeah, but I do think that sort of like, um, you know, kids look kids, girls, you know, girls, I think, with fathers and stuff, I think they look at how um, – what my relationship is like with Marnie and how I treat Marnie. I think that is something that they will subconsciously take for the rest of their life, and hopefully – Treat is a, a weird word, but our relationship and my respect for my for my wife. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be straight. You don't. You know, it could be. You're
0: stealing you know, my line right now, Howard. That's the line. That's the line I usually use.
1: Okay, well, it's a, I, it's that's a crazy. John Wooden line. Is that a John Wooden it's line? It's a John Wooden line. Is like you know his players would say how to be a great how to be a great father. And it's like love and respect. And it doesn't mean sexual love. It doesn't, right? Because, you know, he had a lot of people that weren't married to the, you know, they they were, they were, you know, players. So they had often um, kids out of wedlock Mm -hmm. and maybe weren't with the mom, you know, Mm -hmm. weren't with the dog. But it's like respect that person. Mm -hmm. And that is what, that Mm -hmm. that kind of, that is what kids are going to see. And that will form their relationships. Yeah. Um, And I think that's something that I try to do and i you know and, and have fun and just love them you know i love my kids and i try not to be um i try not to be too critical and try it's a fine line between pushing yeah. and hugging right you know yeah. but i think it's just it's a, it's it's the best that's the best thing it, that's ha- the happiest it's
0: gotta be hard because when your whole life is giving notes and producing right and trying to get projects and everything to go exactly into your vision and you realize that with your children, you are completely They
1: give me notes. Yes. They're giving me the notes. You
0: can't. You can't overnote your children or overproduce your no. children because then they will reject, you know, that very activity.
1: And my oldest one's a TV savant. What,
0: so she's the oldest great. one? My
1: oldest one, how my so? eighteen. TV Savant. She how? just absorbs so much TV. She finds TV shows. And she she actually had bothered me for a long time to go look at a show internationally. And oh, I was come like, on. like, Yeah, she did. And by the time I looked at it, she's like I'm watching it on YouTube with one million other people, and it was the Norwegian show Scam. Oh, wow. Um, and I just missed it. They had just closed a deal with Simon Cowell, and if I'd been there and if I had listened to her, we would have had it. Cyrus knew the producer. And so she 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 and she looks at my cuts and and always just looks at our ideas and gives good advice. And she's 18. Yeah, you know, it's, it's weird. We need that.
0: Yeah, it's weird for you. She can't go work and propagate. So can I just make a four year in advance offer to her right now? To, just come, to come, come work, come work a main event?
1: You should, dude. Um, Jimmy, it's so <laughs> thanks, nice buddy. to see you. It was such a blast, and um, thanks for having me.
0: Thanks, man. Appreciate bye, bye. It.